my co-founder and I were super demoralized, playing video games till three in the morning. I thought, huh, what if we just charge a year, what do we need to do to justify that price point? So that was the insight where I'm like, okay, why don't I create QuickBooks meets Four Seasons level concierge for accounting? Because they hate QuickBooks, they hate accountants, and we're gonna innovate on both of those. We were off to the races. So getting that first million in ARR, once we had that insight was not very difficult. Whereas before it was like a slog even to get to 300K. I'm Pep Lau. I don't do fluff, don't do filler, don't do emojis. What I do is study winners in B2B SaaS because I want to know how much is strategy, how much is luck, and how do they win. This week, Jessica Ma, founder and executive chairman of Indinero, fintech company with revenue in the tens of millions, providing automated bookkeeping and accounting services to businesses. She's also the founder of Maway, the venture studio, building new startups. Jessica shares key lessons on pivoting, finding the right customers, and building a blended tech and services model. Let's get into it. I started in Dinero, fresh out of college. I knew absolutely nothing about starting a business, and I didn't really know all the B2B best practices. I thought naively that SMB, SaaS, was a really cool segment. Like, oh, these SMBs are very underserved, and there's a way to deliver something incredible to them. We'll just get tens of thousands of these SMBs to sign up and it'll be great. About a year and a half in, I'm realizing, holy cow, the churn is ridiculously high. These people barely pay us anything and they complain about the prices, even if the prices are low. It took me about a year and a half to realize micro SMB is not the way to go. Charging 20 or 30 bucks a month and hoping that we'll get tens of thousands of customers It's a really difficult way to build a big business. People have done it successfully. I was just not able to pull it off. I remember the day like it was yesterday. My co-founder and I were super demoralized, playing video games till three in the morning. We were Diamond League StarCraft players. We'd wake up at noon and be like, oh, what are we going to do? How are we going to fix the business? I was by myself and I thought, huh, what if we just charge $5,000, $10,000, $20,000, $30,000 a year for a business. What do we need to do to justify that price point? Because we're so close to doing that. For context, Indonero helps businesses with all their back office finance operations. So we were helping companies in the earliest days when GitHub only had eight employees, we were doing all their accounting. We had a real-time feed into all their financials and we knew exactly what was going on. And we were helping companies eventually like DoorDash and Instacart and Coinbase, lots of companies you would have heard of. The first product though that didn't work out is like a mint.com for businesses. Back in 2009, mint.com sold for 170 million bucks to Intuit and everyone thought it was the coolest thing ever. So I thought, why didn't someone make a mint.com for businesses? It just seemed like an obvious thing, but I was naive and I didn't realize businesses are used to paying nothing. Or for QuickBooks, they are used to paying like 150 bucks a year. And here I was trying to compete with that. They were so cheap, they wouldn't pay 150 bucks. That was the first insight. And so I realized I had to figure out how to charge more, but how do I charge more as a mint.com for businesses? And Steve Blank and Eric Reese, remember Lean Startup, Four Steps to the Epiphany by Steve Blank, great book. And he said, Jessica, get out of the office, go visit customers, talk to dozens of customers. And so I called a bunch of my customers 
and personally sat behind them in a chair. And I just said, why don't we use my product? Let me watch you use my product. Because what they would tell me on the phone versus what I saw them do led to completely different insights. And I was kind of lazy. I was like just trying to get feedback virtually. But then I had a customer review and he's like, the product's mostly good here, but the accuracy of what you guys are doing through your AI, it's 90%, but it's not 100%. I would pay 10 times more to not worry about this and have it be 100%. So that was the insight where I'm like, okay, why don't I create QuickBooks meets Mint.com meets Four Seasons level concierge for accounting? That was the rough sketch in my head. I thought Four Seasons because... When you're a busy executive, you show up at the resort, you don't want to worry about anything. And you're willing to pay a lot more money versus staying at, say, a Hilton and pay 10% the price. It's so different. That was, I just wrote down on my piece of paper, like, all right, Four Seasons, QuickBooks, Mint. How do I triangulate this? And then I talked to more of my customers and thought, wow, this is something people will pay a lot of money for because they hate QuickBooks, they hate accountants. And we're going to innovate on both of those axes. So I put together this slide deck. I worked from like 3 p.m. till 3 a.m. on my first sales deck. And then I went through my phone. I literally started from A and went all the way to Z. And I texted everyone like, hey, I have this new awesome thing that is going to help you on your finance stuff. And I'll be honest, I need to get your feedback on it. Can we meet for coffee this week? The first person... I met with in anticipation of her signing up, I printed out a contract so she could sign it right there at lunch. I said, look, this is what we're going to do. I gave the spiel and she said, wow, that's great. Sign me up. How much does it cost? I'm like, okay, cool. So I just literally wrote in her credit card info on the piece of paper. She signed up and I went back home. My co-founder still depressed and dejected and playing StarCraft. I'm like, Andy, guess what? We got a customer who's willing to pay us $5,000 a year. We're out of the stupid $10 a month fees. We have something we need to build now. So he said, oh, shoot, we have a customer and now I have to build the product. So the key there was trying to sell it first just to get some excitement going. And then I picked up the next five customers within a few days and we were off to the races. So... Getting that first million in ARR, once we had that insight, was not very difficult. Whereas before, it was like a slog even to get to 300K. The best way to figure out if a product will sell is to sell it. The best way to figure out if existing customers would also buy something is to sell it to them. The best way to figure out customers' willingness to pay is to sell them at different price points. Target customer research will tell you how they think, what they think, their pain points and priorities, internal purchasing processes, their perceptions and their point of view on your category. However, qualitative research cannot accurately answer would you buy this type of questions. Selling is also research and it's the best research method for questions about customers' future behavior. If the micro SMB was a bad buyer, who was the new customer that you were going after? Some of them were still small businesses with three employees or five employees. But the insight was they had to be more than just a solo practitioner. It had to be someone who's college educated and trying to build a business that they thought would be a real business. It couldn't be like uh, a hot dog stand vendor. We continue to think, how do we get more customers who could justify paying a higher price point? 
And that was the vision. We're going to be a much more robust, bigger offering. And so the product strategy shifted accordingly. And all the first customers were just word of mouth. But the problem with word of mouth was it's hard to scale word of mouth. The next strategy became PR. PR is also difficult to scale and difficult to replicate and very dependent on the founder. But what was great about it is that it was quote unquote free. In hindsight, I wouldn't say it was really free because it took up so much of my time and energy. But we were featured in every publication that you could think about. I remember when I was on the cover of Inc. Magazine, I thought, this is the best thing ever. We're going to get tons of customers. It was uh, up for three months, and then it went crashing back down, and all my sales reps were like, no, we had so many great leads. The other problem with that is when you get a spike like that from something unpredictable, the sales reps were ignoring my other channels. I was doing outbound emailing, and that was very successful for a while before it turned into spam. And so they were throwing out the paid outbound leads and only focusing on the easy inbound. And that caused all sorts of problems. What else did we do? We try to focus on bigger customers, not only because they spend more money, but because the retention was better. And we had a huge retention problem with these smaller businesses. We focused on those customers for two or three years. It was easy to get to 3 million, 5 million, 8 million. Getting from 7 million to 10 million ended up being really hard because our retention was so terrible. Because these businesses would go out of business after three or four years a lot of the time. So I had to fill the top of the funnel with new, new people. We had mastered this sales motion for a small business, but we hadn't diversified. And we hadn't tried different markets and segments and verticals where they wouldn't go out of business and churn out. My regret was not thinking about that ahead of time. What's the customer help? I didn't track the early warning signals for churn. And it's unfortunate because we had so much data on these customers. We had all their financials. We knew how much they were spending, how well they were growing, how much cash they had. Eventually, we got smart. We passed these stats over to our finance and our uh, support team. Hey, these customers are likely going to be out of business in six months from now. And the problem was the percentage of our customers who fit that criteria was very high. And so that's when I realized, all right, we need to diversify. This is also why we're struggling to go from 7 million to 15 million and 20 million. So then naturally it's like, all right, what verticals do work where you have profitable customers and what do they care about? So the lesson there was as CEO, you got to have your finger on the pulse and visit those customers in new segments and new product areas that you haven't targeted yet. I was out of that habit. I didn't have that ritual. I lost sight of that. Because I thought, oh, I could just focus on what we're doing that's working. I just saw the revenue growth chart on my Excel spreadsheet and it looked so good. And none of it came to fruition, at least on the time frame I wanted. This segment is churning and it, this slows you down. You can't get to the next level. What did you change after that insight? We started building out marketing campaigns for other verticals, bigger companies. And we found that they cared about different things. Like the smaller businesses just want the bookkeeping done. They don't want to worry about the day-to-day -day accounting stuff. But bigger companies and profitable companies who won't go out of business, they really care about tax strategy. They care about tax optimization. Completely different concerns. So the marketing collateral has to be different. The sales training has to be different. The product has to be enhanced for that. So even though it's the same product technically, you've got to think of it as a completely independent product. My experience was it was very difficult for people to context switch all the time, like focusing on three or four verticals at the same time, like, you know, 
the 50-year-old woman who's just built a great business for the past 15 years, that's very different from selling to the 30-year-old entrepreneur who has a fast-growing small tech startup. And so you have different sales reps, different product leads focused on different segments. That worked out a lot better for us. But I was trying to get fewer people to work on too many things to save money. I thought, all right, just do more. Didn't work out so well that way. You guys were blended, tech and services. A lot of uh, B2B companies shy away from services. The VCs hate it. The margins are bad. What's your take on mixing the two? It's case-by-case case dependent. In our case, we're able to operate at healthy tech-level margins. A lot of investors hate it because they're worried about scalability and margins. And if you could answer those questions, then it's more acceptable. Like you could argue that Uber is very people intensive and there are a lot of issues with it. And Airbnb, same thing. But I love how Brian Chesky talks about that with Airbnb. Mm -hmm. He really went out of his way to do things that didn't scale. I think that's one thing I noticed with a lot of B2B founders. They're so worried about that, that they don't build anything particularly special or unique that actually helps the customer. I think it's easier to go lean into doing things manually and having a service component and then dialing that back after the fact. Salesforce partners with Accenture now to do a lot of stuff, for example, but there's still a lot of services involved in getting your setup put together. But that's also how you iterate on your product and figure out the customer when you have a services component. In a previous episode of How to Win, Lloyd Lobo talked about how starting with services can inform what software to build and it can provide the funds to build it. Here's how he did it at Boast AI, which helps businesses capture tax credit. We started by selling a service. It's probably the absolute best way to bootstrap a company to 1 million. In fact, we like use this method to bootstrap to 10. It makes you very good at customer success because customers want an outcome. They don't want software. After you know exactly what to build, then you build. There are millions of tax and accounting companies out there so how do you think about differentiation and how did Indinero then set itself apart from a very red ocean? You have to go vertical by vertical. If you're targeting, say, construction companies, then there's a list of things that we can do for construction companies other people are just not equipped to do. Or nonprofits, we're very good with nonprofits. We were the first to market here and a lot of other VC-backed competitors that came after us focused on tech companies. And I didn't care about that as much because I knew they'd have a retention problem. So I'm like, all right, you guys go get the tech companies. Generic vague messaging is a big challenge in B2B SaaS and most other spaces. Yet, taking a differentiated position in the market is critical if you are the challenger brand in a B category up against big, well-known brands. You're not sure what your messaging should be? Sure, I get that. There are some few requisites here. One, Understand how your ICPs think about the problems you solve, like marketing automation or whatever business you're into. Two, what's a big important pain for them in this arena? Three, where are they dissatisfied with their current options? This is your source for your differentiated value. Once you know this, you can A, address the big important pain point, B, know who cares a lot about it, like who's your ICP, and see spot where the competition is deficient. This unlocks differentiated value you can lead with in your messaging. And if you're drinking my Kool-Aid, you can know most of the answers to these questions in 48 hours with Winter. 
After running the business for about 11 years or so, you brought in a, a new CEO and you became the chairman of the board. And then you started a venture builder. Tell me about the process of stepping down, replacing yourself and starting something else. I should have stepped down and replaced myself a lot earlier. I was making so many mistakes. Everything we've been talking about for the past 20 minutes, it's all so obvious in hindsight. I think if a listener goes through all of your podcasts, they will not make any of the mistakes that I made. And I figured there must be someone else who's gone through all this stuff already for the next level, right? Someone who's gone from 50 million to 500 million, let's say. And I don't have that. And I'm going to make more mistakes. Also, I wasn't excited to run a business anymore. I really didn't like waking up in the morning and thinking, oh my God, I'm the CEO. I had all these employees to deal with and customer issues and all the stress of that. I really wanted to take a break. So I ran a search, I hired a headhunter. And the advice I got from my mentors and investors many years ago was like, headhunters are terrible. Headhunters are so expensive. Don't work with a headhunter. Other advice I got was, you're the best person. You're a passionate founder. No one can replace the genie of the founder. Yeah, you might find a hired gun, but they're not going to be motivated to win the way you're motivated to win. And so I listened to that and I stuck in a job that I absolutely hated for years longer than I, I could have. In my gut, in my soul, I knew I could find someone better. And at the end of the day, an executive search cost 150,000 bucks. Who cares? Country K, when you're profitable, doesn't matter. I found someone great who, who has done businesses with hundreds of millions of dollars revenue scale and brought him in. I've started nine other companies since then. It's been easier to replicate my wins because I know how I know the playbook for getting from zero to one, one to 10, right? So you've started nine companies in the last two years since you stepped down. How's it going? Nine seems to be a lot for one person to manage. How are you doing it? I set up a holding group slash firm and I call it Maway. My last name's Ma, M-A-H. So it's maway.com. Uh, play on words. It's like I'm trying to do things my way. I don't want to listen to how other people do it. I just want to what feels right for me. I have all these great ideas for things I want to do. At first, I thought, do I want to do more B2B SaaS? And I realized the answer was no. I wanted to try doing other things. I felt that the learnings I had from being in the B2B would translate over to all these other categories and vice versa. So I did a litigation fintech company that blew it out of the water very quickly. I funded it with 500K of my own money. And then that business was crushing it. Eight bigger volume within... 18 months, very fast. And we had a different set of mistakes for that business. That'll take another hour for us to go into. But then I also started doing some bio stuff and launching other companies where I partner with other great co-founders. So I bring in a co-founder on day one, who's a deep domain expert. I have this general broad entrepreneurial experience. I know how to raise capital, build out a team. I love that, but someone else has to run the company. And it's easier to do that day one. Because if you bring them in later, as a founder, you feel emotionally attached to your business. So you have a tough time offloading it to someone else. And you have stuff in your head, I'm going to do this better than most candidates. It's going to take a special unicorn before I replace myself. I see so many of my friends get trapped in their CEO job. They see that and then 10 years later, they're still the CEO. So I knew I shouldn't even start another company 
until I have a co-founder and CEO from day one. When you look back at the lessons you've learned building Indinero and the nine companies, what pieces of advice would you give to fellow B2B SaaS founders about growing companies? Number one would be go visit your customer and watch them use your product and spend two hours with each of your most fanatical customers because the insights you're going to learn don't come from the first half hour. It doesn't even come from the first hour. You have to have their attention captive for two hours and then random stuff will come out from that. And don't get lazy. Do that even when you have 10, 20, 30 million in top line. Number two is to think very carefully about how you're spending the equity capital that you're raising. This is equity capital, it's dilutive. Yes, it's easy to raise money. If you got a B2B SaaS company that has great economics and good margins and good retention, but if you have a great B2B business, there are other creative ways to finance it that are less dilutive, such as venture debt, such as using pipe.com. You could get very creative about this. We employed debt financing to grow our business a lot throughout the business. And that helped me, that's probably saved tens of millions of dollars worth of equity, maybe more. Number three is reflect on, do you want to be the CEO long-term? Early on in the business, I really wanted to be CEO. I thought I wanted to be CEO, ring the bell when we went public on NASDAQ. That was what I thought I wanted. Be honest with yourself. Check in every year. Do I actually love every part of my job or is there a better job for me? What I realized is that it wasn't binary. I could promote myself. Yes, I fired myself as CEO, but I promoted myself to executive chairman. So I got to focus on strategy and the things I wanted to do without having to deal with the things I don't want to do. So how did Indinero win? First, by finding the right customer willing to pay more. We continue to think, how do we get more customers who could justify paying a higher price point? Second, by offering a blended tech and services model with real value. That's also how you iterate on your product and figure out the customer when you have a services component. And third, they focused on verticals where they could win. Nonprofits, we're very good with nonprofits. A lot of other VC-backed competitors that came after us focused on tech companies. And I didn't care about that as much because I knew they'd have the retention problems. And that's how you win. I'm Pepe Playa. For more tips on how to win, follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter or X. Thanks for listening.